Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Amen. Good morning again, C2. I'm Pastor Jeremy, lead pastor here. I'm so glad that you are worshiping with us this morning. Uh, with me, we have uh, one of our ministry partners and a dear friend of mine from, from college, all the way back in the 1900s. We went to school. Yeah. You remember that? You remember that? I remember. I remember. Vaguely? Yeah. All right. This is my friend Nick Puccini. He's uh, one of our missionary partners. When you give your faith promise offerings uh, and, and missionary pledges, it goes to support uh, families and, and people and ministries all around the world that are partnering with us uh, for the gospel. So would you give him a warm welcome this morning, C2? Your family couldn't be with us, but maybe they're up on the screen. Yeah, I, I asked Olivia to send a video, so I think got a video, a welcome video. I'm Olivia Puccini. This is our son Oliver, who turns 11 in a few weeks. Ava, who is six years old, and we are standing here in our apartment in Tallinn, Estonia. It's already late Sunday afternoon, and we know Nick is coming to speak to you today. So we just want to say thank you for giving to us so that we can be here and that we were able to plant Focus Church. And we just want to say we love you guys. We hope you have a great Sunday in America and come visit us. You guys yeah. want to say hi? Hi. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh, my daughter is hamming it up so much. Uh, she's so funny. <laughs> An open invitation for us to come to Estonia. I'm all in. For Tallinn. That's actually the name of the town that he's in. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to. Why don't you tell us about your family? The, yeah, well, we, <laughs> my wife Olivia and I actually grew up kind of in this area at Kansas City. So I don't know if we were Royals fans, and uh, yeah, and I know there's Saint, there's a St. Louis side, and you know there's heaven and hell too. So it, it makes sense. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm a Twins fan. We're purgatory. Yeah. That's right. So I remember, you know, 1985, I was in third grade, the I-70 series. We grew up, you know, like I said, in this part, we, we remember this church wall. This yeah. was always uh, just a great church, uh, Bible quiz here, Fine Arts Festival, all those church things that we did yeah. growing up. Uh, so we just, we uh, are Missouri kind of, Missouri people. You're good stock. Uh, That's yeah. what it is. So yeah, we, Olivia and I went up to North Central, and we were in choir with these guys, uh, traveled the world, I Israel, used to, I used to different sing. places, yeah. So, and then uh, Oliver just, and Ava. You see what he did there? Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, uh, I think is, the last time you were here so um, was like four years ago. Yeah. Just before we launched you guys into Estonia. That's uh, right. So tell us about that journey a little bit. Yeah, we, we had been in Armenia. Um, you guys had originally sent us out. Uh, I think we were here 2002, and uh, we went out to Armenia. And, you know, since I was about 21, I, I, I had this call in my life uh, to be a missionary, but also to plant and lead a church. Right. So we went out to Armenia. And, um, that, you know, eight years there, we, we did all kinds of things. We helped plant churches. We were training church planters through a Bible school. We started all these things. But the opportunity that came throughout our, uh, our region called Eurasia to go into the least reached areas, uh, least reached demographics, cities, uh, and plant churches in teams. And this just gripped our hearts. We began to pray. 
We visited uh, Estonia five times. I mean, everything about it was just the opposite. We were going from a, like a Middle Eastern culture in Armenia, right on the Iranian border, uh, surrounded by Turkey and Azerbaijan, uh, Georgia to the north. And uh, Estonia is up by Finland. Uh, you know, it's former Soviet Union. That's why most of us don't uh, recognize the name. Right. It was USSR on those maps in middle school, you remember, know. Remember maps? And uh, Yeah, paper maps. Paper, so, um, yeah, so we uh, made that transition, and uh, we recruited a team. We had 12 missionaries that, that went into the city, and we just began loving on people with the goal of launching a church uh, for that young generation, one of the least religious countries in the world. The Estonians say they're the least religious country in the world, and some of the stats from about six, seven years ago uh, you know, bear that out, two different uh, demographic studies in Europe. So, wow. yeah, so we, um, we launched Focus Church about a year and a half ago. And so. That's great. So a, a year and a half in, I mean, you're going to a, a, a European nation. So most of us who, who know Europe, it's just, it's, it's, not, it, it's about as post-Christian as you can get when we talk about America being post-Christian. People have a have a feeling or emotional reaction to religion or Christianity, where in, in Europe and specifically Estonia, it sounds like they don't have any attachment. To, they don't even have a reference point for it. So they don't have any feelings or thoughts about it. What has that been like? Yeah, I, mean, I remember when we arrived there, we, we got this apartment sight unseen, um, and uh, we flew in. We had all of our bags. We were Americans, so we had like 16 suitcases. And, uh, <laughs> We get to the, the apartment building, and the owner of the building met us there, and he's this tall guy, so I just, I, I, I love to play basketball. I say, is there anywhere I could play basketball? And he said, he said, uh, no. And I said, okay. You know? <laughs> but then he called me up later. This is the Estonian culture. They're just very direct, very quiet, very introverted. He called me up later, and he said, you know, I've been thinking about it. He's like, I'm on a basketball team. Why don't you come and practice <laughs> with us? And... Um, and so I've gotten to know all of these Estonian guys on this basketball team. I'm the only non-Estonian on the team. And uh, these guys had never really been to a church. About a couple months in, one of the guys uh, spoke. I mean, they're introverted, so he, he sp- which was a big deal. He spoke <laughs> to me, and he said, he said uh, you know, I've been to church one time in my life, and it was for my grandma's funeral. And so I said, well, why don't you come to this Estonian church with me? We were attending this uh, Estonian church in town and partnering with them and building relationships. And he just looked at me and didn't say anything. And he didn't, you know, he didn't come to church with me. But he did come to the launch of our, our church the very first Sunday. Ivar, wow. this tall guy who he's, invests in uh, companies in Silicon Valley and San Francisco. Uh, his, his two sons are ranked tennis stars in the world. They're twins and they're anyway i can go on and on about that but yeah so uh it showed up and um so every the basketball team every year at christmas will go and tour the old church buildings the cathedrals and so when i told him that we're starting a church uh one of the guys said are you an architect you're gonna gonna build you're gonna build a cathedral and i'm like no you know different reference point yeah. yeah very different and so like you said they're they're, they're not against it. They're just like, they've never met somebody who is a follower of Christ. You know, wow. and this is a majority of the people that we meet. We're the first Christ followers that they've ever really had a relationship with. Now you so. were saying something this morning about uh, Estonia. You know, we, we talk via Facebook, FaceTime, 
face world. Um, <laughs> but you were telling me the other day that uh, we had a broken up signal and you said, oh, it's because we're in the world headquarters of Skype. They're sucking up all the bandwidth. I had no idea that Estonia is like the center of technology like that. Yeah, they just, uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed, they just leapfrogged, I think on the video, say the first city to be covered in Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi. That's the first national elections in the world done over the internet. Wow. I park my car instead of plugging the meter, you just... Uh, you know, text. I, may, maybe they do that in the states now, but that's been going on forever. Just super high tech. Some it's the highest concentration of startups per capita in the European Union. So wow. it kind of has the nickname of they say Estonia. You know, because it's wired. You can actually get an, a residency, an electronic residency of Estonia, so you can open a business there. It takes about an hour to open a business uh, if you're into. Yeah, I might e- have to. Economics, uh, it's a flat tax country, all this, you know. So anyway. You lost me there. Yeah, it's just, it's a fascinating, fascinating country. And we absolutely love it there. I mean, we, uh, my kids love it. They're in Estonian schools. And uh, awesome. from, I think it's a, it's a law in the country now that from first grade they have to study code. They have to start computer programming from first grade. Wow. They study English from first grade. So it's just a, it's a really it's fascinating little country. So everybody's now Googling Estonia, yeah. you know, it's like a trying to phones. So tell me what, what God is, what has God been doing since you, you launched the church? What, what are you seeing? Well, when, when we got our team together, we just, like I was talking about before, we said, just get into the lives of people, build trust, um, you know, be their friend, whether they, you know, want to talk about faith or whatever or not. We, we knew that the Estonian people weren't looking for a, a church to go to. They weren't looking for a better church to go to, or they weren't going to the church their friends went to. So we, we knew that we had to bring Jesus into their life right. because Jesus is irresistible. Right. You know, and these, whether they reject Jesus or not, there's, he's the most fascinating thing in, in the history of the world. And so uh, just, just be the love, be the light. And so... As the, the, the launch team began to grow, we did alpha courses. Uh, we did all kinds of outreach. It was just an immense amount of outreach just to get the word out. And then when we launched on September 7th, 2014, we had 74 people that showed up for our launch. Wow. And so from day one, we were one of the largest churches in the country. <laughs> the, the average size church is 18 people wow. in the country. Yeah. How and many so, are you running now? That's funny. Like we... we we dipped down and got, you know, every yeah. church plant's like this. You go down and down and down. So um, I think our lowest point was 32 on a Sunday. By Easter, 150 people had come. So this wow. is the, the number of people that we're interacting with. Uh, they may not come every Sunday, but like on an Easter, we were doing an Easter egg hunt for their kids. They've right. never seen an Easter egg hunt in their life. That's not the culture there. So they're fascinated by it. And um, so, but on average, I, I did the numbers uh, just recently for a report I had to turn in, and uh, this this year the average is up over ninety people per That's Sunday. Awesome. So we've, um, awesome. yeah, yeah. When you know in the states, you know, a church of ninety, it, you know, is sort of a blip on the radar. Mm-hmm. But you're saying you're like the third largest. That's yeah. you know, especially for Europe and such a hard area. Yeah, you know, we as a church, we we pray for you guys. Um, what are what are what are some I mean, personal ways? What are the challenges, or maybe even it's the opportunities you're facing that we can partner with you in prayer about? Yeah, challenges is really um, just keeping the 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 pace, the vision alive, but learning margin, learning to be healthy. Right. And so Olivia and I, um, 
we work really hard at that, but you know, just things come along. These last three weeks, there's just been a barrage of things. Some of our team members are are being poached out of our team. and uh, <laughs> Stop you, raising up good leaders. Yeah, so you, you, those throw-up moments where the best people, and you know, they're, they're going to be leaving. And just, uh, pr- you know, if you pray for us, um, just pray for health in our family. Uh, we're, we're driven people. We want to win the world to Christ, win the country uh, to Christ. But we got to realize that that's not really our job. We just got to be faithful right. and, uh, you know, treat it as the long run, the marathon. You should let, listen let, to the sermon series I've been doing. Yeah, it might I help know, you out. Something about some of them got yeah. Them. Well, you know, I think I think uh, for from the missionaries I know and knowing your personality, you know, you feel the burden of there's a there's a whole city that's lost. You know, I I, th- I hope that's what we carry. I, I certainly carry that is knowing that that there are people in our our town that don't know Jesus yet. So we want to we want to pray for you before we pray in, in church. In just a minute, we're gonna pray for Nick and his family, and then we're gonna watch a, a video that he's gonna share with us. And then he's going he's gonna to speak with us this morning. How can uh, we connect with you guys? Um, we, I think we have, may, may have some cards left back there on the table. Uh, if you want to grab one of those and just connect with us on social media uh, and keep the updates. And if you want to send a, an email, uh, you, signed up for, you can get signed up for a newsletter, email newsletter. And, um, you know, the prayer requests come through that. So that's kind of a way to stay connected. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What a, a simple way. I got your newsletter. Uh, this past week, and I was just so inspired by, I, th- I think the young lady's name was Annika. Yeah, Annika. Who came to Alpha. Yeah. Um, tell that story real yeah, quick. Yeah, I mean, Annika, she's just the typical, the, 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 Sto- the Estonian person that we're trying to reach. They're right. just super sharp, uh, never been to church, and uh, we were doing an outreach. In fact, you know, Jeremy was telling me this week that you guys, you love to do missions trips, and... Uh, we had a team in town uh, from Minnesota, and we were doing this outreach. We have this this ministry uh, facility, this ministry center right in the heart of like the cultural center of the country, and so every Saturday people are just roaming the streets, going to cafes, and um, we did this outdoor uh, live can event. Sh- can you show the picture real quick? Of, of yeah, we may have our the front of our building out there somewhere. So she was walking by and saw this outdoor concert, and we were selling waffles. Uh, and selling waffles, just like in the background behind that sign, we had you know bands set up and selling waffles to raise money for the after school program that we partner with. And so she was just so intrigued, like what, why would a ch- church be doing? And what's a church? And what's going on? Hmm. So somebody from the team, it was an older gentleman. Uh, he had just recovered from uh, a fight with leukemia. He's a retired eye doctor in Minnesota, and. You know, he, he couldn't do much. He was, you could tell just in his body, he was carrying kind of the, mm-hmm. the after effects of everything. Uh, and he was just like, what can I do? And he said, well, why don't, if people come in, why don't you just hand them some cards and give them a tour if they want? So this young lady comes in, and he walks her around, shows her the building, gives her a card, and invites her, her to an alpha course, which is an outreach that we do uh, for people to ask questions about faith in a very safe environment over right. a meal and with friends. And uh, she actually showed up for the Alpha Course. Mm. And we were, our whole team, we we're just blown away because the Estonians, you know, so, they're so hard to reach, you know, with things like that, like come to church, come to Alpha Course. Mm. Well, we could just tell she was hungry for God. She, and 
So she went through the whole Alpha course, gave her life to Christ, and we just uh, a few weeks ago had baptisms, and she brought her whole family, brought her fiancé that had never been to church before, and she gave her testimony, and we had a video uh, testimony that she gave, and she wanted a copy of that to send to all of her friends. That's awesome. And, uh, and we just we, we sent a message back to John, the retired eye doctor, and just said, you came, and you were just willing to give somebody a wow. tour of the building, and now she is on mission with Jesus. She's That's going awesome. to be working with this program we have for single, mo- single moms. Yeah. That's awesome. So. That's awesome. Well, church, we're going to pray for, uh, pray for Nick and, and his family. As a sign of your prayers, would you just stretch your, out your hand towards him? And we're going to pray that God continues to do his work uh, as we give and as we pray. We know he's going to empower you. Father, we thank you for our, our missionary and ministry partners like Nick and Olivia Pacini and their family who've moved uh, a great distance to go to people who've never heard of you. They have no relationship. They have no, no, no distant memory of you. And through them, Father, I pray you give them favor in their communities and every relationship that they and their team are building to make the name of Jesus famous, that they would bring you in such a real and authentic way that the people of Estonia are continually drawn by your Holy Spirit uh, to who you are, and what you can do in their lives. We pray protection over their family. We pray for wisdom and uh, margin as they, as they feel the burden of reaching lost people and yet maintaining the balance of ministry and family and time with you, Father, as we all try to balance that in our own lives. We thank you for your faithfulness. Take, take the, the gifts that we have given Nick and his family and multiply it so that every need of their ministry is met, that their outreach is continuing to go forth with power and with effectiveness. Father, we trust you to do what only you can do. It's in the name of Jesus I pray all this. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Watch this video. Uh, there's a couple more things I want to say, but... Um... We are still recruiting team members, and so if God would lay it on your heart, maybe you're a student. We're actually going to be starting at Chi Alpha, if you're familiar with Chi Alpha Ministry. Yeah, (laughs) that's right, and uh, that's coming up in the future. Not all the plans are laid, but you may hear about that and just have an opportunity to come, even maybe even study there, but just help us launch that. But we're looking for all kinds of team members because we just want to keep planting more and more churches throughout the Baltics, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. And so I, uh, if that interests you, we'll start the conversation and we'll get you in that pipeline, just informational pipeline. I also want to say thank you to Pastor Jeremy and Darcy. Uh, amazing people. Amazing people. Amen. Um, just... Uh, just the whole vibe and the atmosphere here is, uh, is, it just speaks of life, it speaks of vision and uh, solid leadership. And um, I have great memories of these two. We're in choir together, but the memory that sticks out the most, I carry with me literally every day of my life, Jeremy. We were playing pickup basketball, and you're, you were going up for a layup, and I was going up like I normally would do, just swat down your layup, but this time... <laughs> Your elbow hit my lip. I've got a little scar. I can't remember if it's the one on top or the one on bottom. And that's the Jeremy Reisner scar on my body. And so thank you. These are just great people. <laughs> um, I want to uh, read a story, talk about a story from the, the Gospel of John, not the typical missionary kind of passage. Um, I want you to read along with me this morning, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. 
I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. And I love that the, 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 the interpreters in the ESV said there is in Jerusalem because they found this pool just within the last few decades, excavated this pool by the sheep gate in Aramaic called Bethesda, which is five roof colonnades. It's about 20 feet deep, but the size of a football field, a soccer field, sorry. Um, or if you know Italian, a calcio, or Estonian, yalpa. So, size of a football field, which had five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps in down before me. When Jesus, saw, Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. This was the Jewish holy day. It was Friday between Friday night and Saturday night at sundown. So then the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that, sa- the man, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. After Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews, the religious leadership, that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are alive, that you love us. Lord, we pray that you would do something in our hearts today that that we could not do on on our own through intellectual ascension to a philosophy or through the practice of any type of religion. Lord, we pray that you would do something in us that would radically change our lives, that we would walk out of this room today completely changed. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So as I said before, we went out to Armenia. It was 2003. A lot of you weren't even born at the time. It looks like, uh, you know, we, uh, at the time in Armenia, nobody had cell phones. Um, And there were not tablets. We didn't have internet. We lived this existence closer to extinction and death than most of you could possibly imagine if you're under the age of, you know, 40 or 30. Life without these things. And so it was 2003, we arrived, and we were just, we didn't know, we didn't know. That was supposed to be funny. Just a few of you thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
we arrived in this country. We had, we had never lived overseas. We were the first uh, missionaries from our organization, the Assemblies of God, to the country. We, and our area direct, director, I remember they wanted to show us around, showing us around the, the city. They didn't have supermarkets. There were no convenience stores. And uh, so they took us to this open market. And I remember the excitement I had as we walked toward that open market. Just it was like, you know, you were doing something adventurous. And uh, I also remember the look on my wife's face as we were walking, and she's thinking, this is where I'm going to shop. This is where I'm going to spend days haggling and trying to get food. Because as we were walking into the place, there, there was the butcher section that was outside of the building, outside of this big covered building, and, and it was 104, 105 degrees out, and they were cutting up the meat right out there in the open, and all of that stuff from the, the, the animals was just flowing into the mud sidewalk that we were walking through, just the blood and the guts, and I just remember the look on my wife's face to this day. I, I mean, I, I, I love adventure. I tell people that... If, if I had a toothbrush and just a tarp, God could send me anywhere. I'll just go. I just love, I love the adventure. My wife, Olivia, she's an amazing missionary, one of the hardest working people I've ever known, talented. I don't want to lower her reputation at all, but her, advent, her idea of adventure is that the old wing at the Marriott Hotel, you know, the unrenovated section. And uh, so here we are. I mean, we're just like, we're mid-20s. We had never lived overseas. Nobody knew how to... Yeah, uh, to live in that country that could mentor us and talk to us. And, and uh, we were just, tr- we, we, you know, we were dependent. And I remember uh, we were introduced to a man, they told us, who could help us get things done. His name was Hovannis. He was what, what I call the, 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 the Holy Spirit Mafia. Because this guy was like full-on mafia guy you know he had the the hair billowing out of his open shirt and the gold rings and he drove a land cruiser and but he was a full-on believer i mean he loved god with all of his heart and we would we would race through the city and uh, and his land cruiser going i remember the time where we were going to get our vehicle and if you're familiar with the the youth groups in america and some of god churches have this program called speed the light raise your hand if you've ever heard of speed the light and so we, we were going to buy the Speed the Light vehicle that was paid for by youth groups. And, and uh, we didn't trust the banks. They told us, don't trust the banks. We don't put money in the banks. We bring cash over. So I had all of that cash. I mean, it was a lot. I mean, in $100 bills. And it was in my briefcase. And from the time I left uh, the United States and got on that plane, that thing was like glued to my body. I just was holding it tight and sweating, just worried about that. And we, I remember they said, uh, there's one guy in the country who can sell you a four-wheel drive. There's one guy. And so I said, okay, just, you know, take us to see this guy. And we, we were going down the road, and Havanas is driving like a madman, going through stoplights. And, and he told me, he goes, suggestion, suggestion is the stoplight. So, <laughs> uh, and so we, we, we pull over on the side of the road. And we all get out. And this is like a scene from like The Sopranos. There's like blacked out windows, land cruisers. And we get out of the car and we go and we sit in this guy's car. And he's even more like this mafia, big giant nose, dark skin, dark hair, and uh, just uh, gold rings. And, and they're talking. It's just like, oh, yo. It's just like, the, this, you know, it's, it's the mafia. We're living a movie. And uh, <laughs> counting out $100 bills. 
And they sign over the car to us. Just completely crazy. And then he's like, okay, we got to go register the car. And so a few days later, he's taking us to the police station. We're running in and out of office buildings. And, and uh, we go into the one police station. And he's like, moment, moment, Nick John, Nick John, moment, moment. And uh, so I'm waiting outside, and I'm by myself. This is a room full of Armenian guys. They're all in black leather and long pointy shoes, and, and uh, they're all smoking and gruffy, and I'm just like this Midwestern 26-year-old white boy, just like. And he, he leaves me in the lobby. He disappears in the back. He doesn't wait in line. He just opens the door, walk in the back. And I see as he's walking in the back, all the guys stand up, and they're like, Holy John, and they're just kissing him on both cheeks, and they shut the door, and I'm just like, oh, God, I hope something good's going to happen back there. (laughs) And so he comes out, and he's just smiling from ear to ear, and he's like, Nick, he's like, I've got got my license plates for you. I'm like, okay, let's go put him on the car, and he's looking at me. He's like, no, his eyes, he's like, no, I've got my license plates for you, and I'm like, okay. Let's put him on the car. You know, I, I know how to do that. I've done license plates before. And he's like, he's like, you, you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. He's just looking at me like this naive, stupid American boy. He's just like, <laughs> and I'm just, and then he explains to me, he's like, listen, these are my numbers. This is 63777, good God numbers, 777. He said, all of my vehicles, my whole entourage of vehicles for my, my, my factory, owned the largest uh, sausage and ham company in the country, and uh, all of his vehicles had 777. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. Okay, let's go. Let's get in the car and go. <laughs> and um, he's just like, you just don't get it. And later, one of the other guys, the younger guy, Samson, who became my good friend, he said, he's like, Nick, listen. You know how Hovannis drives to the city and the police don't pull him over? And I'm like, yeah, I remember seeing the, the, the police officer stand on the side of the road. And I remember the guy lifted up his stick to pull us over and he was doing this. And then he saw, he saw something and he lowered that stick down and just disappeared. And, I, and I'm like, he's like, yeah, but you've got Hovannis' numbers. They will see 777 and they will not do anything to you. They won't pull you over. He's like, you have a license to be a 16-year-old boy again and live out your, (laughs) I mean, just like your fantasies of driving like a video game. And and I'm just like, it was unbelievable. It lasted four years until we had a new president and he changed all the laws and the party was over. It was just, (laughs) and it was just, was, we were just in a different place. And I remember of, uh, about five years in, we had this, uh, this little Toyota uh, Corolla that we bought because the ministry was growing. We had the Bible school. We were planting churches. And we had all these employees for translation work. And so we were buying different vehicles. And we had this little Toyota Corolla. And I remember driving through the city. And I came up to an intersection. And uh, it was a four lanes, and out of the, the furthest lane, this little white uh, four-wheel drive comes flying in front of a bus into my lane. I was doing a U-turn, and he slammed into me. And his little white four-wheel drive flipped over and landed in the grass median. And my car was just completely totaled. And within minutes, it was just like hundreds of people surrounded. It's just a different culture when there's something happens like that. And they, they start to take sides. And some people are taking my side. Some people taking the other guy's side. And they're arguing with each other. And the traffic was shut down. And uh, 
And so I'm like, okay, I didn't cause this accident. The police take me in, and it starts this investigation. And I remember being in the, in the police station, and the, 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 the investigator says, okay, so how do you want the police report to come out? And I said, just, just the way it happened. And he, he said, no, you don't understand. How do you want it to come out? He said, the other guys have been taking me out to dinner every night, and they have their version and they're, they've got, you know, he slides a number. He's like, this is what they've offered. And I'm just like, okay, no, this, that's not what happened. And I realized that we were stuck. And so I got on the phone with Hovannis, the Holy Spirit Mafia. And I go, he's like, Nick, come out to my factory. I go into his factory, this big palatial office. And he had me sit in front of his desk, these big high-back chairs, like gold filigree around the high-back chairs. And he's like, Nick. This is my office. You've never been in here before. This is so good to have you. And he snaps his fingers and coffee and tea come out. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. So um, he says, what, what do you need? And I said, okay, I was in this accident. And, and uh, you know, it was about three weeks ago. And the investigation's going sideways. And he looks at me. He's like, why didn't you come to me? Why didn't you come to me? I'm like, this is the godfather. I mean, we went from Sopranos. <laughs> And now we're back in the 70s in the Godfather movie. And I'm like, and he's so we get in his Land Cruiser and we fly through the city. And we come to the police station. And I had been going in this one side of the police station, but we went in this different side. And we go up and we go in the back and we walk in. And there's this another palatial room with one guy sitting at the desk. And we walk in. The guy looks up and he sees Hovi Kovanis. And his eyes just get big. And he stands up and he runs up and he hugs Hovannis and kisses him on both cheeks. And we spent an hour just catching up. I was just sitting there just like I'm a fly on the wall. I don't know what's going on. And they're just talking and talking about things. And, and then Hovannis takes me outside the door and he looks at him and he says, Nick, when we go back in there, you tell them what you want to have happened in that, in that accident. And I said, well, what I want to have happened is what happened. And he said... Well, okay, just, okay, we'll, we'll say that. And, uh, and I'm like, well, what's going on? He said, I paid for these kids to go through university. This guy owes me his life. So he said, just don't worry about it. So, so, we, go, <laughs> so we go back in there. We go back in there. He, he gets on the phone. The investigator comes into the room. The investigator that I had been working with comes in and sits next to me. He's sweating bullets. He's nervous. And the guy says, okay, just tell him what happened. And so I said everything I'd said before. The guy's writing it down word for word. And then he said, now, now if you just change it a little bit like this, it'll be a little bit more believable because of the, the, the intersection and the way the sun was and stuff. I'm like, just, just exactly how he said it. And I began to realize... To get it into my thick head, you know, in, our, in Armenia, that no matter how dependent of a person, independent of a person, I want to be. I want to be independent. I want to do things on my own. And I had started, Hovannis helped us, you know, for a few months in the beginning. And I said, okay, I'm going to go to the residency office by myself. And I was able to do it. And I want to go negotiate with, you know, mayors and different things for Convoy of Hope projects. And I want to do it on my own. But there came a point where I had to begin to understand and realize that no matter how much I wanted to be independent, in the end, every single one of us come to a point where we have to be dependent upon something and somebody. 
I was talking with uh, an Estonian friend of mine, and she's like, she's like I, I, we were talking about Christ, and she said, um, you know, I just believe you know, I, I, I can make myself happy, and I'm in... And, uh, and, and it just a thought hit me, like, what if Russia invades? I mean, at that point, we become depend- We're all, in some way, somehow, we are dependent on something bigger and stronger than we are in this life that we live. Whether or not you, you believe and you're following Christ or you believe in God or not, this is a fact of life. We're, we're dependent. Recently, in a study that was... Uh, talked about by a man named Robert Waldinger. He is now the director of a 75-year study at Harvard University studying what makes people happy. What is the secret to happiness? And after 75 years of following these people and their families and now their kids, uh, some uh, group of the, 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 the participants were Harvard students, and, and then they had a, another group of students who were, who were just part of the Boston public school system. And... and uh, 75 years, and they studied them and followed them. And his conclusion, at the end of 75 years, he's the third director of this program. And he said the key, the one fundamental thing in every person's life who expressed that they had lived a happy and a whole life was that they had relationships through which they could be completely confident that they could be dependent upon that person in their time of need. That was the, 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 the takeaway from a, the director, who I don't know whether or not I doubt that he is in church this morning anywhere, a follower of Christ, but just this understand. And we find it again and again and again. And as I have been reading the book of John, the gospel of John, and I've been reading it over and over again for the fa- last few months, I'm getting this sense. I can kind of start to maybe see... John, as, as an old man, he wrote the gospel later in his life, um, probably around 95 A.D., they believe. He was now in what's now western Turkey, near Ephesus, uh, Izmir today. And he had lived his life with this relationship with Jesus. Now, as a, as a boy, as a teenager, he was one of the youngest of the 12 disciples, and he had lived with Jesus. He had walked with Jesus. The way the Jewish rabbis would, would train up their students was this whole idea of living and walking and being with them. And they, they, they could ask questions. Jesus, when this happened, or rabbi, teacher, when this happened, what is the meaning by that? And what can I learn from that? And day in and day out, spending more and more and more time with Jesus. And John, as a, as a perhaps a teenager, perhaps the youngest of the disciples, is now Grandpa John. You know, he's, he's in his old age. And he's finally ready to put down on paper, to you know, scrounge up the money, the expense at the time of getting the, the paper and, and getting a scribe and, and, and telling those stories and getting it right. And he puts together a series of stories. And if you read the book of John, there's only seven primary miracles in the book of John. And each one of them, he says, I write this to you so that you will believe in Jesus, so that you'll believe in Jesus. Although when we read the miracles, we start to believe in the, the power of Jesus, and we, we see that God is the God of the impossible, and each person involved in the, 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 the miracle receives something from God. And I was writing a statement 
that maybe we could, uh, would be memorable for, for us, the bottom line take home. And the first thing that came to mind was um, if we make room for God, he will make room for us. It just kind of came to my mind, but immediately it just didn't sit right. It didn't sit right with the understanding of what John was trying to teach us and just drinking in the gospel of John over and over again. It's just like, that, that, that's not what John was writing about. Because each one of these people, none of them had made room for God in each one of these seven miracles in John. And we get to this story of a man who for 38 years had been, had been unable to walk. And here's Jesus. He's in the... Jerusalem at a time of a party. I mean, it's like day after day of a, Jeru- uh, a Jewish festival, a Jewish party. And he had the crowds. He had the, the rapt attention of thousands of people. And there was political intrigue. There was an understanding that something big was happening. And as he was going from one of those venues to another, he happens to go by a place that if you, if you understand it and put it in context, really nobody wanted to be there. The Jewish people couldn't have contact with sick people. They couldn't have contact with, with the lame and their understanding of their religion because if they did, if they touched them, then the uncleanness would come onto them and then they couldn't go and party with everybody else during that festival. And so everybody had brought their lame and their sick and brought them to the pool of Bethesda where they can be under the shade of the colonnades and be near the water. And they kind of had this, this myth, this story, that an angel would come down and stir up the water. Um, but I kind of feel that perhaps that was like maybe something that was very convenient for the families because they're like, hey, stay here and there'll be, there'll be an angel. Yeah, 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 that's it. An angel will come by and stir up the water. And if you get in first, so, so you, you, you guys see the picture. These, these people were not people who were necessarily positioning themselves to get something from God. And this was the, the mentality that the Jewish people, the Pharisees especially, were, were teaching. That if you do everything right, you get everything right, then God will make room for you. If you make room for God by just don't do any work on the Sabbath because there's a commandment that says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And if, and if you don't get unclean, don't touch a sick person. And I find it so amazing in this story that this guy goes to these Jewish leaders and he says, I, I've been healed, I'm walking. And they said, who told you to carry the mat? I mean, this guy's walking and it's being attested. Everybody's like, Oh my goodness, this guy's walking. And these religious guys in their robes and their, their pomp and their circumstance are like, okay, you're breaking a rule. You're breaking a rule. But do you realize that we live that way so many, so much of our lives? I do. God, if I, if I do this and I do that and I do this, and I, then, then you'll, you'll bless me. And... But what John is trying to get across to us is that Jesus was different. Jesus happens to walk by and he sees the person. He, John wrote, he apparently understood that this guy had been there for a long time. He, he was tuned into the situation. And he offers him something that only God would offer. And we come to realize that it's not that if we make room for God that he'll make room for us. But read this with me. If we make room for God... 
If we make room for Jesus in our lives, God will make room for his mission in our hearts. That we begin to become more and more like Jesus. See, that's the point of the, God, of the book of John. Uh, story after story, Jesus is concerned with the spiritual state of the person. Yeah, he brings healing. Yeah, he brings something more into their lives. But at the same time, he's, he's, he, he's saying, I want you to believe. John writes in the end of the, of the gospel, I wrote all these things so that you will believe in Jesus. And so when we make more room for God in our lives, God starts to make us more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And when we become more and more like Jesus, then we start to make more and more room for the mission of God, and it's natural. One young lady that came to Christ through Alpha, we started our very first Alpha course, and uh, some of our team members had been making friends at the school where their kids went, and just inviting people into their own lives. And one of the teachers, her name was Kristen, and Kristen had gone through some personal tragedies uh, and was just searching for God. She had tried everything. She traveled the world. She had done all of the things that young college students do, backpacked and volunteered in Africa and taught all over the world. And she had tried everything. And here was somebody so full of life and so full of hope that they made room in their life for Kristen. So Kristen said, okay, I'll come to Alpha. And in and, and her words, she gave her testimony last week. She said, and I will not be brainwashed when I go to Alpha. She, just, she understood this is going to a church. And, but week after week after week, she saw people who had begun to live this life on mission with God, with Jesus. And she saw the genuine truth being lived out. And she gave her life to Christ. And she was our very first Estonian person baptized at Focus Church. And then within a few months, within just a few months, she had the opportunity to go to a leadership development school hosted by my friend, a Canadian missionary. And she went every, uh, every other Saturday. And that school wanted to help another church plant that we're helping as well do an alpha course of their own. And they announced it. And because Kristen had been spending time with God, Every day of her life, she was reading her Bible, spending time, lavish time with God. She was just drinking the love of God into her life. When they said, we need volunteers, what I was told by everybody in the room is that her hands shot up and she had tears in her eyes. Because she had made room in her heart for God. The mission of God was natural. It was natural. And I know that every single one of us in this room, we have people in our lives that are like that man who was left aside and he wasn't given an opportunity. And I know that most of us now, we can think of those people. And we don't have much margin in our lives. I ask you to pray for us to give us more time for the real healthy things. And I understand that. But what happens is we, we make more and more time for God. And all, it's, it becomes just natural. It becomes something that the first thing that we think about. And when the opportunity comes, our hand's the first hand to go up. And so I am encouraging and challenging every one of us, me as the first one in line, to cry out to God and say, God, I'm like each one of these people in the book of John who received something from you. I may not I'm, not, I'm not worthy of it. I haven't done all the right things. And even if I had done all the right things, it wouldn't matter. And so, Lord, I ask for your help. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I ask for your help to 
to be a person that makes more room for you for the purpose of being on mission with you. Lord, I want more of you, but I also, Lord, I want to be used by you. There, there is a person in my life. Maybe nobody else can reach. Maybe they'll never come to church with me. But I can offer them something, some kind of relationship, some kind of love, an arm around their shoulder in a time when they're hurting. And Lord, I know that you will come in and you will perform the miraculous. And so Lord, I just, I offer that to you as a commitment. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks, Nick. Nick, I love, I, I think he was in your video. We get more round of applause. I know, you, I know you said it in the first service, and I think it was in your video, that you're, you're changing the spiritual destiny of a nation. I, I love that thought, making room for the mission of God by, by just making room for God, and then he'll make room in your heart for that mission. I hope we carry that with us this week. Again, as we're moving towards Easter, are you making room not only for God, but in your life for those who are far from him, that they might be invited into your life and and be drawn closer to him. I'm so excited. Next week, we're launching our new series called Ridiculous. That's all I'm going to say. It's called Ridiculous as we move towards Easter, as we uh, examine the claims that Jesus made that were pretty ridiculous. So I hope you have a great week. I look forward to seeing you tonight at our next classes. Be well. See you next week. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.